Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. Let's open in prayer. Avinu Makin, our Father, our King, Lord, thank you for bringing us together once again after the two-week break. We bless you for your word. We thank you for sending your Son and sending his Spirit. Lord, if you did not send your the promise of the Holy Spirit, we would not be able to fellowship with you. With you. We not, would not be able to cry out, Abba, Father. We would not know what it what it means to um, know uh, the the truth of the forgiveness of our sins and the reality of the uh, the the kingdom of God within our midst, Lord. But it's because you kept your promise and that your words are true that you uh, spoke about in John chapter fifteen through John chapter seventeen, speaking to the disciples about the the promise that you would um, uh, send the Holy Spirit and that He would be the one who would remind us of your very words, Yeshua. And so we welcome him into this room tonight to enlighten us, to, to open our eyes, to understand the text more fully, to give us the assurance of the forgiveness of our sins, to help us to fellowship with one another and to forgive one another and to hold each other up in brotherly love. And so, Lord, help us as we press into the words. Give us a heart to understand. Give us a mind to... Um, to uh, uh, um, to unlock some of the difficult wording and phrases that we're going to be encountering in the book of Galatians. Uh, Lord, we know that, that this is not uh, something that we can do in just one setting, so we are commanded to study over and over and over again and to, to hide your words in our hearts so that we don't sin against you. Uh, Lord, um, continue to give us a holy boldness as we go about our daily lives uh, working and living and 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 uh, moving in amongst uh, other people, uh, we know that we also have a mandate to go into all the world and to preach the gospel, and to share the words that you've given to us, and to uh, be empowered as we do so. And again, we remind ourselves that it's not by our own power that we're going to be doing this, but as we avail ourselves of the the, the fruit of the spirit and the uh, of the uh, words of God, Lord, we know that 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 the endeavor will not be fruitless. Your word will not return to you void. Um, but we are commanded, Lord, to be filled with the Spirit and to 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 walk in the armor and to to continually uh, be a light and a witness to those around us. And so we thank you, Lord. We're not ashamed of the good news uh, of the gospel. For it's, it is the power of salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Be with each and every student who's joined me tonight. I pray that you'll 
um, continue to enlarge their capacity to understand and to to uh, to comprehend and to put to practice the things that they're learning. And Lord, I ask that you'll be with those who are not able to make it tonight, but raise them up, raise them up, and continue to give them a voice uh, in this very dark and evil world. We'll be careful, Lord, to give you the praise and the glory. B'shem Yeshua, Amen. All right, well, thank you, everyone, for joining us again. Uh, my name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher out at Congregation Kehi Latunava in Thornton, Colorado. And if you ever get a chance, you're in the Denver area, Thornton area. Kind of Thornton is kind of north of Denver. Uh, look us up. Uh, Kehi Latunava is a Messianic, uh, charismatic congregation. Um, and uh, we meet every Shabbat, every Saturday. I don't know the exact time since I don't actually live in Colorado there, and I think they changed the service times since I moved out to South Korea. But look us up online at graftedin.com, and you can find all of the relevant information for visiting the congregation, the, the uh, address and things like that. Tell the uh, head pastor, Mark McClellan, that Ariel from South Korea sent you. Also, while you're online, um, head on out to my own personal website at tetzetorah.com. That's T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H.com. And you can find all of the commentaries that I've written, as well as a good number of audio podcasts that I've been producing over the years. Everything is parked there on my website. Also, uh, a good number of my commentaries, I don't think all of them, but uh, almost all of them, are also parked over on my uh, congregational site, the Grafted Insight. But if you are out at uh, TateSaitor.com, then you'll be able to follow along uh, directly with the updated Galatian study that we've been going along with for the last oh, almost two years now. It's, um, we are on week 70, and this uh, is going to take us into a brand new chapter of the book, Galatians chapter 4. We finished chapter 1, 2, and 3. Of course, those of you who've been following along with me know that I'm not actually hitting every single verse. So even though it's taken over a year, uh, we're not going every single verse. Imagine if we were going verse by verse, right? We'd be on this thing for quite a while. Nevertheless, we're going to um, jump into chapter 4 today. But before we do, um, let's date stamp the recording just real quick. This is August 26, 2017, and we're on week 70 of the Exegeting Galatians study. All right, for those of you who are with me in the live Skype study, uh, just want to remind you, keep your microphones muted till the end of the study. Also, those of you who aren't able to make the live study week after week, you're certainly welcome to pick up the study by um, going to my website and looking for the audio commentaries there. Just click on the Galatians commentary link, and then everything's on the page there. You can scroll up and down and find the links. Otherwise, if you've got iTunes on your computer, Mac, or PC, or on your smartphone, that would be iPhone or iPad, um, you can go to the iTunes store or the Apple Music store, and you can uh, go to the podcast section and just search for either Galatians or search for my name, Ariel Hanavi, and you can subscribe to the podcast or follow along that way, okay? And um, that way you're at least able to follow along with the written, with the uh, audio commentaries as I, as I record them and upload them uh, after the recordings each week. Okay, without further ado, let's jump into a little bit of liturgy. Tonight I thought I'd do something a little different. As you all know, I usually read a little bit of Hebrew and Greek. Um, this time for the Hebrew, I'm not going to use any scriptural passages out of the Tanakh. Instead, since it's Usually, uh, evening time in the United States where most of you are picking up my studies. You remember, we meet from 7 
p.m. to about to approximately 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. And so most of you are following along with me live after the fact, uh, evening study, Saturday night for most of you, I think. Um, I decided I'd do uh, Birkat Tamazon, which is blessing after uh, eating, uh, grace after meals, if you will. Um, some of you are aware that in your standard Jewish circles, that instead of praying before we eat, like standard Christian, we pray after we eat. And that's based on a verse out of Deuteronomy 8, verse 10, where God says, after you've eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord for the, the good land that he's given you, etc., etc. Paraphrasing there. But the idea is that the, 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 the rabbis came along with this idea that the verse says, after you have eaten, then you shall bless the Lord. So they took that quite literally and created what's known as the series of, of um, prayers and blessings for us to recite after we have eaten the meal. So I think it's evening time for most of you who have been following along with my commentaries live right now. So you probably already just ate. So let's go ahead and do the Birkat Tamazon. All right, if you're following along with me on the screen right now, you can see I've got a, um, this is just a page out of a Siddur. And this is actually a Siddur, which is a prayer book. And I borrowed this, uh, actually I downloaded it from Tim Haig's website. He makes one available for free for his congregation. And it's kind of nice because it's got uh, English and then it's got um, transliterated Hebrew. Uh, right underneath the English, and then to the left of that, it's got the Hebrew script as well. So if you can't read the Hebrew, and you can at least make out transliterated Hebrew, then uh, you can kind of follow along, okay? All right, uh, so I think what I'll do is I'll go ahead and read all of the English. It's just one page, and it's basically a series of verses taken straight out of Torah. Many of them are out of the Psalms, some of them are out of the Prophets, and they're they're kind of put all together in one little page. And so I'll read the English, and then I'll just read the Hebrew, okay? The English reads, Fear Adonai you, his holy ones, because there is no lack to those who fear him. Young lions may feel want and hunger, but those who seek Adonai lack nothing of all things good. Give thanks to Adonai, for he is good, for his loving kindness is eternal. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Blessed is the man... Uh, blessed is the man who trusts in Adonai, and Adonai will be his security. I was young, and I have grown old, and I have not seen a righteous one forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. Adonai will give strength to his people. Adonai will bless his people with peace. And if you've got this particular version that Tim Haig provides, you can see in the footnoting 1 through 6 of all the references for where those verses are all put together. So none of these are really man's words, even though it is a man's product, the Siddur. Um, it is really primarily just he, uh, uh, scriptures that have been collected together and put together because of their common theme and because of the message that they're conveying. So you can see there's a lot of, most of the passages come from the book of Psalm, Psalms, uh, except for one out of the book of Jeremiah there. Okay, let's go back and read the Hebrew as well. Uh, starting right here, for those of you who are in my class, uh, the Hebrew reads, Yiru et Adonai kudoshav ki ein maksor li re'ayv, kufirim rashu v'ra'evu v'dorshe Adonai lo yachsru chotov, hodu l'adonai kitov ki le'ulam chasdo, po teach et yadecha umasbelecho chayratzon, baruch, Ha-gever ar-shir yiftach va-adonai v'haya adonai miftacho. 
na arar haiti gam zakanti volora iti tzadik ne etzav tsaro mevakesh lachem Adonai oz la amo itein Adonai ivarech et amo vashalom. Okay, and that's going to do it for the Hebrew liturgy for tonight. Thought I'd do something a little different since the passage that we're going to read out of the book of Galatians doesn't have any strong tie-in to any verses out of the Tanakh that I was uh, particularly fond of using. Let's turn now to the Greek portion and... I think what I'm going to do is something also a little different. For those of you who are in my class tonight, if you've got screen sharing turned on, you'll see that I've got um, a Bible study app that's available for free online. It's called Bible Study by um, oh, it's by Olive Tree uh, Works or something like that. Olive Tree Studies, and um, uh, it's it's kind of a nice little simple app. It's got uh, some Greek and Hebrew tools, and basically I'm going to use it simply because it allows me to have a convenient little split screen of all of the the Greek and the English at the same time without having to, to keep um, clicking back and forth around on like, like I would on a website. It allows me to scroll up and down between multiple um, chapters without having to jump back and forth. Plus, I was able to highlight some things that I wanted to see. So, what we're going to do is uh, the, the the liturgy for tonight, obviously, is going to, we're going to start in chapter 4. So let me uh, start in chapter 4 for us. Um, but at the same time, uh, we're going to go back later on, and we're going to see how that there's some, there's a really a common theme that Paul's been utilizing, that he's been highlighting uh, in his in his book here. And we're going to go back and take a look at that as we kind of get an overview of three moving into chapter four, so that we can be prepared to receive what what I think is one of the central messages of uh, chapter three and four as we're moving into the section of the letter. Okay, so for the section for the Greek, uh, we're just going to read chapter four and we're going to read verses one through seven, which most Bibles uh, I uh, outline as a kind of a section break. Uh, the ESV that I'm using. Uh, describes it as sons and heirs, because Paul uses this little analogy that's very common to Greco-Roman life about the uh, the heirship of the child and things like that. And this is self-explanatory when we read it in the English, and we'll see what we can do when we get to the Greek and highlight some things as well. All right, uh, the English reads, uh, this is Galatians 4, 1 through 7, out of the ESV it reads, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. Okay, let's read the corresponding Greek as well. Give me a second. Got a little Skype bubble popped up there, a place where I don't need it. Okay, um, the Greek reads, Lego de f hason kronon ha kleronamas napias esten uden de afere dulu kurias panton on. Verse 2. Allahu pa epitrapus esti kai oikonamas achri teis prothesmias tu patras. Verse 3. 
hutos kai hemes hate amen napioi hupatas doikea tu kazmu hematha dedolomenoi verse four hate de elthane to pleroma tu cranu exapestalen hotheas tan wea wean autu genamanon et gunaikos genamanon hupatam naman verse five hina tus hupanaman exegorose hina ten huiathesion apalabomen verse six hati de este wioi exapestalen hotheas to penuma tu wea out wea autu esta cardias hemon Krazon Abba Ho Pater. And the final verse Hoste Uketi e Dulas Ala Wias E de Wias Kai Kleronamas Dia Theu. Okay. Now let's um let's do this real quick. Before I actually go and um get started into the study tonight, I want to give you what I think is probably a better way to understand the book itself as a whole. I'll try not to take too much time doing this, maybe just five or ten minutes if I can. But it's it's commonly known that within prevailing Christian circles, that essentially Paul is writing a letter to a group of uh, Gentile Christians, predominantly Gentile Christians in the region known as Galatia, and he's writing to them to um, warn them away from... This is, again, the prevailing Christian view of the letter. He's writing to them to warn them away from the danger of falling into a legalism, a legalism of going back under the law for any type of justification as well as any type of sanctification. And from, from the traditional Christian perspective, Paul's audience was uh, considering taking on law observance because of the um, the Judaizers that have cr- that had crept into the church, the Judaizers were these people, and I'm using the terminology that the Christians are common with that they're familiar with. The Judaizers are these either Jewish Christians or converts to Judaism that had believed that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, but had also continued to believe that the Jewish lifestyle, as as was handed down through Moses and others, keeping Sabbath, kosher, circumcision. Uh, all the all the festivals and things like that. In a word, just keeping the law. All of this was still incumbent upon anyone who wished to be counted as righteous in God's sight. So because the Jewish people had been keeping the Torah for 1,500 years, it was natural for them to expect that the Gentiles, who also wanted to be uh, genuinely saved, not only had to believe in Jesus, but also had to take on uh, Torah observance if they wished to um, make their salvation complete. So basically, as I understand it, a, a standard Christian theology uh, thinks that Paul, uh, w- but Paul, how do I say this? Standard Christianity thinks that the Judaizers were teaching salvation by faith in Jesus plus works, meaning it was that Jesus was not sufficient enough. One had to also bring on Torah observance if one wanted to be saved, particularly circumcision. It's kind of like what the um, what we read about in Acts chapter 15 and verse 1 and verse 5. Some, some men came down from James and taught that unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. And since that's spoken of quite directly in Acts chapter 15, in the first few verses, then many Christians borrowed that, that theme 
and carry it over into the book of Galatians and feel that this is basically the same thing that's going on. And that Paul has to write the letter in a word to say, look, you Gentiles don't have to worry about keeping Torah. You certainly weren't saved by works, and you don't have to worry about keeping Torah to be sanctified as well. So you're not you're neither saved by works, nor are you sanctified by works. So in a word, don't worry about circumcision, don't worry about Sabbath, don't worry about um, uh, food laws, don't worry about the festivals and things like that. Those are all shadows. They've been done away with. Um, they were helpful in uh, showing what sin was and defining sin and limiting sin and punishing sin and things like that. That's Those are the reasons that the law was given. But in Christ, a new dispensation has dawned, uh, and we can clearly see this. I'm still speaking as a traditional Christian. We can clearly see this in the bookends of the law that were described by the law was added until it was added after the promise given to Abraham in Genesis meaning it was added in the book of Exodus at Mount Sinai, and it was it was only until, right? You remember the verse, Galatians 3.19? Why then the law? It was added until. So those are the bookends, according to most Christians. The, the additional part of the law came after uh, the promise made to Abraham, so it's definitely something that came after the fact. And it had a termination point when Christ died on the cross, when he uh, suffered uh, and cried out, it is finished, right, to telestai in the Greek, then when he said it is finished, he was speaking not only of the redemption that his his sacrifice offered for all mankind, but he was also speaking of the dispensation of the law had come to an end. And that's why we read in Romans 10.4 that Christ is the end of the law. And that's why we read about in um, the book of Hebrews about this covenant, the, the first covenant coming to an end and the better covenant being re- reenacted in Christ. So this is basically the traditional Christian view, is that Paul's book of Galatians is an answer to the question of how much of the law is relevant for Christians, and the answer is basically none, meaning Christ has done away with the ceremony on the civil, ceremonial on the civil particularly. He hasn't done away with the moral law, of course. Sin, uh, murder is still murder, rape is still rape, adultery is still adultery. Stealing is still stealing, uh, and things like that. But the ceremonies and the civil parts, you know, uh, particularly all of the, 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 the all of the ritual aspects of the law, uh, circumcision, you know, uh, um, festivals and sabbaths and and clean and unclean and and uh, you know, including the food laws and things like that. Sacrifices, obviously, all of those things have been brought to an end. Christ has fulfilled all of it. Um, he fulfilled it, so we no longer have to consider concern ourselves with it. And the Gentile Christians in Galatians who were considering going back under the law, particularly going back to being circumcised, uh, the message of the uh, Judaizers, uh, they no longer have to worry about that. They can just they can they can realize that they have been set free from all of that. They've been set free from that bondage. In fact, according to the traditional Christian view of the Book of Galatians, if you go back under the law, you're going back under bondage. And uh, the book of Galatians is a book of freedom. It's a book of Christian liberty. It's a book of of Christian freedom, freedom from the law, freedom from the bondage of the law, freedom from the the bondage of sin that the law held us under. And uh, uh, you're no longer under the law. You're under grace. We're actually under a new law, according to traditional Christian theology. We're no longer under the law of Christ, which was the letter of the law spoken about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're no longer under the letter of the law. We're now under the Spirit, right? Because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life, we read about in that same passage in uh, 1 Corinthians. And Paul tells us elsewhere in Romans chapter 6 
that we're not under the law, we're under grace. And we're going to read about not being under the law, but under grace in Galatians here as well, and later on, chapter 5. And so, um, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And don't be in, in, uh, enslaved again to this yoke of slavery. Don't be chained up again to that the, the, the yoke of slavery. Don't let it, someone come along and tell you that you're not free uh, uh, in Christ. You, you, in fact, are free and you are... Uh, you are under the law of Christ, the law of Messiah, the royal law that James speaks about in his, in his the law of liberty. So this is essentially a Christian position. Now, um, we also have, I haven't described this very often in my commentaries, but we also have kind of a, a prevailing messianic position. My good friend who's listening to me right now, who's also in the study, my fellow Torah student, uh, who's in the study with me, he reminded me that um, basically there is a prevailing um, Messianic view, and even though this prevailing Messianic view is pro-Torah, um, meaning they don't agree with the traditional Christian view that says that the law has been relaxed in Jesus, it's been superseded by the finished work of Messiah on the cross, uh, Jesus fulfilled the law so we no longer have to do it, etc., etc. Even though the traditional Christ, the traditional um, the Messianic view of today, the Messianic Judaisms, the Messianic congregations, the Torah communities, uh, even though they don't espouse to the traditional Christian perspective that the law has been done away with, because obviously Messianics still keep Sabbath, kosher festivals, wear tzitzit, put mezuzah on their door, things like that, they still concern themselves with many of what Christians would call the ceremonies of the law. Um, even though that's true, many Messianics still approach the book of Galatians with a decidedly um, non-new perspective position. And what I mean by that is um, they feel that Paul's combating a type of legalistic view of the law. We can most um, easily see this view in Messianic Jewish author David H. Stern in his complete Jewish Bible as well as his Jewish New Testament commentary set. When you read through the, his uh, commentary, you find that David Stern's position is essentially that Paul wrote the book of Galatians to warn the Gentile Christians away from seeking to obey the Torah in a legalistic fashion. And so he translates works of the law and under the law as kind of this uh, works done in legalistic observance of the law, a kind of a, a simplistic uh, thought of keeping the law for meritorious purpose. It's still a works righteousness, but it's a misuse of the law from David Stern's perspective and translation of the book of Galatians. And so basically, if you read through the book of Galatians and think and, and interpret Paul as not saying disparaging words about genuine Torah observance, he doesn't have anything bad to say about genuine Torah observance, but he has everything bad to say about legalistic observance of Torah. And what would that be? Legalistic observance of Torah would mean basically keeping the law for the purpose of trying to become saved, becoming circumcised for the purpose of becoming saved, keeping kosher, keeping Sabbath, keeping the festivals, and doing all the things in with the, with the understanding that God not only will bring you into uh, a saving relationship with Him by doing those things, but He'll also maintain that relationship as you maintain your Torah observance. And of course, seeing how this is obviously theologically wrong, right? It's 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 uh, fundamentally wrong from a theological perspective. Um, then essentially, uh, David Stern believes that Paul is uh, warning the Gentile Galatians, the Gentile uh, uh, Christians in Galatians, as well as any Jews who would be reading the letter, 
that a misuse of Torah from a legalistic perspective is not going to bring the blessing of God, it's going to bring down the curse. And you're cursed because you're not actually exercising genuine faith in the Messiah. Instead, you're exercising faith in your Torah observance. So basically, the, letter, the book of Galatians, from that perspective, is a warning against works righteousness, which, oddly enough, is identical, in, in essence, to the one of the central themes of the Christian position, that is, uh, uh, works will not save you. Both of these groups that I'm describing, the traditional Christians and the traditional Messianics, both of them agree that works will not save you. Both of them agree that legalism is bad. It's just that the traditional Christians take it a step further and say that in order to avoid works and legalism, we just get rid of Torah altogether and, re and practice and walk in law of Messiah. Whereas the traditional messianics say, no, we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We simply have to get rid of the dirt. We have to throw out the bathwater, which is legalism, the dirty bathwater. And we keep the baby, which is genuine Torah observance. And this is what it looks like. So, both of those positions have their merit. And both of those positions, uh, theologically, arrive at, the, at, at a good conclusion, which is, the only thing that can save you is genuine trust in Messiah. The only thing that can save you is your faith in God, and the only thing that's going to sustain you as you walk in God is the power of the Spirit. So it's it's from faith to faith that we are both saved and sustained, that we are saved and sanctified. It's from faith to faith, uh, if I can use that verse as, as an interpretation. So both of those positions have their merit, and so I don't want to speak ill of that, but what I do want to do is let the readers know and the listeners know that there's another position that has come along uh, lately, I want to say lately, as of the 70s, especially when E.P. Sanders released his book in the late 70s, Paul and Palestinian Judaism, and he caused a firestorm among Christian uh, uh, commentaries because he challenged this idea that the first century Judaisms were, were, was a religion of works, uh, a kind of a... Um, uh, just a, a stone-cold, meritorious, works-based uh, um, uh, Pelagianism, uh, you know, type of religion. Instead, uh, E.P. Sanders, using research from the extant rabbinic writings uh, and much of the um, uh, early historic writings that have survived the destruction of the temple, as well as corroborating his information against the uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls information that we are that is available to us today, he came to a conclusion that basically Paul's book of Galatians is not teaching. I'm sorry, the the Judaisms in Paul's day were not teaching uh, a works righteousness based on keeping the law. Instead, they were teaching a grace based relationship to God that was rooted in God's election of Israel as a covenant people. And so uh, E.B. Sanders introduced a term known as covenantal nomism. And in a word, covenantal nomism is the idea that one's place in the covenant is determined by God's election, God's choosing, meaning it's not something that the person can do in and of themselves. So Covenantal nomism is how one gets into a right covenant relationship with God. The nomism part of covenantal nomism describes law-keeping. It describes a, uh, a covenant member's responsibility to remain loyal and faithful to God by demonstrating uh, faithfulness to the covenant itself. In a word, one is brought into the covenant by grace and one is kept in the covenant by works meaning they're kept in the covenant by obedience. 
Of course, this obedience is not seen as self-effort per se. It's still seen as loyalty and devotion to God. So it's couched in that language as you read through uh, E.P. Sanders' works and now the later, what you might call the disciples of E.P. Sanders or the people who followed after him. This would be N.T. Wright, James D.G. Dunn, uh, uh, Garlington, and things like that, uh, and Tim Haig. Um, people who have come up after E.P. Sanders who have taken this idea of covenantal knowsmanship to the next level see Paul explaining to the Galatian Christians that in order to be brought into a right relationship with God, i.e. in order to be saved, one still needs to rely on faith in Yeshua. This is true. But instead of maintaining one's position in the covenant by keeping the commandments like traditional Judaism teaches, one maintains his position in the covenant by um, by faith in Messiah as well, by reliance upon the Spirit. And so under the, under the new perspectivist view, uh, the Judaizers have been renamed as influencers. Mark Nanos uh, is, gets credit for for giving us that term, influencers. It's a little more say uh, it's a little less racially charged term, in my opinion, as a Jew. And so instead, the villains of the peace are not people trying. To, they're not Jews trying to teach, trying to bring the Gentiles under submission to the Torah of Moshe per se. Instead, they're Gentiles trying to bring Gen, They're Jewish people trying to bring Gentiles under sub, into submission to a ceremony known as the proselyte conversion ritual. And the purpose of turning Gentiles into Jews was because according to the new perspectivist position, the NPP position, according to that view, the Jews of Paul's day, the covenantal nomism that they espoused to, uh, believed in a limited view of, of um, election. God's election of, the, of Israel as a whole was described in terms of Jewish-only Israel. And so we got this idea of a national uh, salvation, a national righteousness, uh, a, a righteousness that is reserved only for ethnic Israel, ethnic Israel according to the flesh, which of course means Jews only. And so basically covenant membership is for Jews only, which means the Torah itself, the, the book of the covenant, is also a covenantal book for Jews only. You cannot keep Torah unless you're a Jew first. So according to this view, the only way for the Gentile Christians to receive the blessings spelled out in the Torah, which was reserved for Jews, the only way for the Gentiles to receive this is to be brought into the covenant as Jews. Meaning, because they were not born Jews, they must, they must actually take on the legal status of Jewishness. And so for this thing, for this part, this step, the rabbis look to the Torah for how does a person become a covenant member according to the flesh? And to the best of their understanding, Genesis 17 provided the answer. And that's where we read about Abraham becoming circumcised and God explaining that any male member who's not circumcised is not a member of the covenant. And he has, he will be considered outside of the covenant. The rabbis took their cue from circumcision of the flesh for males and uh, used this to define genuine covenant membership for any person seeking uh, to be along to the people group known as Israel. So in a word, circumcision took on that role of covenant entry. And so Gentiles could come into the covenant as males by becoming circumcised, at least for the males. Of course, for the women, since circumcision never was was the uh, circumcision wasn't mandated for women in Judaism anyway rather in in the first century world view women were considered 
uh, legally attached to the man that they would marry later on. So a married woman gained her identity from her legally from her husband. So if her husband was already Jewish, then by virtue of the marriage, uh, she was brought into covenant status via that marriage. And if you were not married, that is, if you were un an unmarried woman, then your identity came from your father. So if your father was a Jew and you were a daughter, then obviously you were, you were considered a covenant member, you were a Jewish member of Israel as well. But if you were a Gentile man and you wanted to join Israel, well, then you had to go through not only the proselyte ceremony of circumcision, but you also had to go through a couple of other steps. You had to bring a sacrifice. You had to go through a mikvah, which was an immersion. You had to bring, uh, I think, uh, a certain amount of, uh, an, a, a small amount of um, money as well. So there was about three or four steps for a man to go through. And I think if I, if I remember correctly from the Mishnah, the, the uh, mikvah, the, 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 the baptism was the final step. He went down as a Gentile. He came up as a Jew. He was a, he's a genuine Israelite indeed in all aspects. He was a legally recognized Jew, a legal standing Jew. He, he was a practical Jew for all, for all intents and purposes. And at that point, then and only then, could he claim the promises of the Torah as his own as a covenant member? He began his journey as a covenant member at that point, and, and then he could uh, he was expected to start keeping the Torah as a covenant member. In other words, uh, it became his his uh, duty to keep the Torah at that point in time. So this was essentially the viewpoint that E. P. Sanders described from his research, and um, in this view. Paul comes along and has to explain to the Gentile Christians that they do not need to submit to a ceremony of proselyte and change their status from Gentile to Jew in order to be counted by God as genuine covenant members. In other words, salvation does not hinge upon one's ethnicity, and covenant membership is not a Jewish-only prospect. From Paul's perspective, the Gentile Christians, by virtue of their faith in Jesus, already became genuine covenant members. They became Gentile covenant members. And they joined the covenant at that point by faith, not by ethnicity. And so in this scope, Paul doesn't have to wrest Torah away from the Gentile Christians as if they were misusing Torah in that fashion. Instead, Paul has to basically wrest circumcision away from them because circumcision was the tool that was being misused by the Judaisms of Paul's day. And in this view of the book of Galatians, we don't have to have a disparaging view of Torah observance for a Gentile believer the way that Christianity does today. Instead, Paul can sing high praises for the Torah after a person comes to faith in Jesus, so long as a person understands that their right standing with God is not maintained by their Torah observance. Instead, Paul would um, just remind the Gentile Christians in Galatians, in Galatians that um, circumcision itself has already been done at a heart level, and that they have been circumcised not with the circumcision of hands, but with the circumcision of the heart. And it is because of the circumcision of the heart that they are already counted as genuine covenant members. They have already arrived at the goal at which they are seeking, which is to be counted as faithful Abraham was righteous. And so this is the position that I take. It is the position that many uh, well-meaning authors after me have also taken, meaning I'm not the only one who's taking issue with the um, traditional Christian position. Instead, I believe that this is a, a, a very well-sustainable position given the, um, given the background to the book, given Paul's uh, comments elsewhere about the Torah 
being um, relevant for a believer, particularly we've got the passage out of the Second Timothy about all Scripture being uh, God-breathed, all Scripture being profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, things like that. Paul uh, teaching elsewhere that the law is spiritual, Romans chapter 7, the law is holy, righteous, and good, also Romans chapter 7. About how that the law is not nullified through faith in Romans chapter 3, verse uh 29, do we, I'm sorry, uh, verse 31, do we then make void the law through faith? Uh, God forbid, we establish the law. And this, of course, um, agrees with the words of the Master, Yeshua, in Matthew chapter 5, around verse 17 through 21, about him not coming to do away with the law, but to establish the law, and that those who seek to not only um, not do the law, but teach others not to do it, are going to be called least in the kingdom, and comparatively to those who do and teach others to do will be called great in the kingdom. This is what, what, what obviously what Yeshua, what uh, Paul as the disciple learned from the master, and therefore we can't have Paul teaching an abrogation of the law when Yeshua came that he did not come to abolish. If Paul teaches that the law has been abolished, then he is disagree. He's in stark disagreement with his own master Yeshua, and that's a dangerous position to be in. So Paul's words can't be trusted if if he's if that's uh, the, the, the duplicity that he's teaching. So instead, it's better to take Paul's words in the book of Galatians as teaching, uh, yes, he is combating legalism, but it's not even necessary to describe it as a legalistic work by keeping the Torah, so much as it's a legalistic misunderstanding of one's ethnicity as a circumcised Jew. And so, with that approach, I think we're going to get a lot more mileage out of the book of Galatians and find that it's going to be a, a more agreement with what the prophets of old taught concerning the eschatological position of Israel in the last days. We know that Israel itself is going to experience uh, quite a bit of testing and turning, particularly as we move into a time period that many Christians call the tribulation and things like that. Uh, there's a great apostasy that still awaits Israel, even a greater one than what took place in the uh, few centuries before the Messiah, where Israel was exiled because of their penchant lust for idolatry. God allowed them to go into exile into Babylon and, and, and Assyria, and I'm sorry, well, not in that order, but Assyria first and then later Babylon. And then finally, um, after an extended time period out of the land, they were brought back into the land out of exile and uh, God is beginning to reverse the exile. And this is something that you can read about if you study the, the writings of N.T. Wright, very valuable, about how that the overall scope of the New Testament is essentially that, that the gospel message is that God is reversing Israel's exile through the man of Messiah, through the perfect son of Abraham known as Yeshua, and that Yeshua is reversing the exile because of what he's done on the cross. And that Israel can look forward to this, uh, this reversal as she moves into a glorious uh, future known as the millennial time period, where what do we read about in Isaiah chapter 2 is that out of Zion the law shall go forth. So if we understand that Paul is teaching that not, not that the law is done away with in Messiah, but rather what has been done away with is the penalty of the law, the punishment of the law reserved for unrepentant sinners, the legal aspect of the law that was bound to the legal part of sin. Remember, uh, all of mankind has been legally uh, imprisoned under sin because of Adam's sin, because he, he being the federal head of humanity that we read about in Romans chapter 5. Then Adam's sin, right, the, the original sin, is passed to all mankind. And this is a legal position that we inherit uh, from birth. 
meaning we are born into this legal position, and until Christ rescues us from this legal position, the, the, the Torah itself comes alongside this legal position as sinners, and it continues to not only judge us and torment us, but it will continue to condemn us our entire life, much to our consternation, much to our disappointment at uh, trying to uh, reverse that. There's nothing we can do to, to reverse that. It, it, it's only by the legal um, justification of Messiah himself, which is, in other words, a break from the, the, the legal parameters of the law of sin. It's only the law of Messiah that can break the bonds that, um, that original sin has over our lives. And so it looks like what I'm going to do tonight is I'm not going to get to my notes. I'm going to I'm going to postpone those till next week because I've basically taken up most of the time to do a summary. Um, and so in closing in my summary, uh, let me just say these few things. Um, what we're going to find out as we read through the book of Galatians is that um, as we continue our, our summary, um, we're going to find that I think it's it's better for us to approach the book of Galatians primarily with the idea that as Gen Jews and Gentiles in Messiah, number one, our position is determined by what Messiah has done on the cross and his finished work, his, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his intercession. In a word, it is because of the legal status that we enjoy as sons of God through Messiah that we can now cry out, Abba, Father, that we can now enjoy the fellowship of the Spirit, that we can now realize that we are no longer slaves, but that we are sons, we are heirs according to the promise, and that we have joined the family of Abraham as Jews and Gentiles, and that we, like Papa Abraham, uh, spoken of in Genesis 15:6, that where it said that he believed in the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness, we too have our accounts uh, credited as righteous as we place our unreserved trust in Messiah. And that's step one. Step two, not in the salvation process per se, but in the sanctification process, meaning in the ongoing life of faith that we enjoy as we now walk by the Spirit and fulfill the righteous requirement of the law that Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 8. As we, not, as we walk not by the flesh, but by the Spirit, meaning we crucify the flesh, we let our minds be renewed by the washing of the water of the Word over us, right? Romans chapter 12, uh, uh, renewed, uh, what does Paul say? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Paul goes on to say in that same chapter, Romans chapter 12, as I'm kind of quoting it from the KJV, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, as we go on to read down through the, the, the rest of that chapter in Romans chapter 12, Paul describes not just a forensic righteousness that we enjoy as, a, as our position in Christ, in other words, what Christians call the positional righteousness, but now Paul begins to describe something that was formerly impossible due to the deadness of flesh and the bondage of sin. Paul begins to describe in his letters something known as uh, genuine behavioral righteousness, genuine sanctification, genuine right living. In other words, because of the the uh, down payment of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God actually changes our volition. 
He changes our will. There's a change not only in uh, in who we are in Christ, but there's a change in what we do as people. And so now we can now, we have a life of right living that is incumbent upon us as Christians, as believers, as Jew and Gentile and Messiah. Um, for by grace you saved through faith, not, not of your work, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, he says. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So there are good works, uh, it's what some people would call the behavioral righteousness. There's good works that we are commanded to do. These are not optional. And the good news is that they are inevitable, right? Those whom God glorified, let me actually, actually just turn to Romans, um, Romans 8, because that's such a wonderful passage to kind of close out this little um, discussion about uh, who we are in Messiah. Um, down in the bottom of the, chap uh, the chapter about Romans chapter 8, um, these are the familiar passages, starting in verse 28. Paul says, this is ESV, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brother, brothers. And verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Right? And then... Um, uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. Um, that's the verse I'm looking for, but I can't think of the address off the top of my head. But in that verse, uh, both of these verses are good, both of these passages are good, so I'm not, I'm not completely disappointed that I went to the wrong passage. But I think most of you listening to my commentary know what I'm talking about, about how that, um, the good works that God describes for us in those passages and elsewhere throughout Paul's letters. This good work that we are commanded to do is something that we're not going to be doing under our own power. That's the point I'm trying to, to make, is that this good work that God is emp empowering us to do is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what Paul said all over again in Galatians 3, where he says, having begun by the Spirit, are, spirit, are you going to be perfected by the flesh? Paul knows that we, begun, we began this journey, we got in to the covenant by the Spirit, and we're going to remain in the covenant by the Spirit. So it's it's from faith to faith that we are both brought in and kept in God's uh, kingdom. So the point I'm trying to simply highlight is that God does a work in us that results not only in a regeneration of of our position, it results in a death of the old man, it results in a death of, of the... Um, of the uh, sinner itself, right? Our uh, it severs the tie to the original sin that we inherited from Adam, and so we are basically born afresh. A new man is brought forth, a new man that never existed before. This is a brand new creation. What does Paul say elsewhere? Uh, all uh, behold, uh, all things pass away, and all things are made new. Um, the old man has has died in Christ, and the new man is resurrected along with uh, Christ Himself. So. Just like Messiah who died and was resurrected, we too die to self and we are resurrected. Of course, this is Christianese 101. But the point that many Christians don't seem to focus on a lot is the fact that the new creation in Christ, the new creature, the new man, has also a new volition. He has a new empowerment to walk in the righteousness that the Torah requires of us. And so the walk of Torah is not something that we're going to be doing under our own power. 
Keeping the commandments isn't something we're going to be mustering up in and of ourselves. Rather, it's the power of the Spirit within us that Ezekiel describes in Ezekiel chapter 36, that Jeremiah describes in Jeremiah 31, where the law is written on the heart. It's the same circumcision of the heart that Moshe describes in Deuteronomy as well. It is the circumcision of the heart spoken of so long ago, way back in the words of Moses, that enables us to not only be a child of God, but to live as a child of God. And so, my final admonition admonition to those of you who are listening to my commentaries is, don't shy away from Torah observance, because it is something that the power of the Spirit within you is going to enable you to do. It's not that we live by a new standard of holiness and a new standard of righteousness, of a standard that was formerly not described by the Torah. On the contrary, God's standards of righteousness and holiness have always been described by the Torah. And prior to coming to faith the Messiah, the only righteousness that we could muster up was a temporal righteousness, a righteousness that man um, could... Uh, a man could rally around uh, in the flesh, but it was only temporary. There is a right, a right thing to do that man can do, a right thing to do that man can accomplish, but it's only on a temporal basis, and it doesn't bear any lasting fruit, nor does it carry with it the um, redempting, redemptive power of the Spirit uh, the way that a person could do once he's saved. So I guess what I'm trying to say is this. If you're listening to my commentary today and you haven't made a decision for Yeshua yet, Keep pursuing good and righteousness and good things. Keep doing good. That's, in fact, your duty as a man. That's, in fact, your obligation, your uh, mandate as a human. God created you for good works. God created you to do good, and he gave you a moral compass, a moral compass and a conscience to do good and to enable you to do good. And, in fact, until you come to Messiah, you actually can do good things. But, but, and here's the important but, it won't be spirit-led, and it won't be it won't be lasting. It won't really fulfill the righteous requirement of the Torah. It will just fulfill the the temporal righteousness that that um, that God expected man to fulfill as te uh, tenants of the earth. So, do yourself a favor. <laughs> Trust in Messiah. Do yourself a favor. Fall at the mercy of God. Allow His Spirit to come into you and fulfill you, and to number one cleanse you from the inside out, to take away the stain of the original sin that you inherited from Adam. And number two, allow his spirit to fill you and to cleanse, uh, fulfill, fill you and to empower you to walk in the Torah and to do good works and to do goodness and mercy and grace and kindness, things that you couldn't, could not ordinarily do because you were um, subject, subject to the weakness of the flesh, you were subject to the condemnation of the Torah, you were subject to the... Um, uh, bondage of sin in the flesh, and essentially all your goodness was this filthy rags. But now in Messiah, you are the righteousness of God in Messiah. So with that, I'm going to draw my commentary to a close, and instead next week we'll be poised to turn right into Galatians chapter 4. And what I'll do next week, instead of doing this lengthy, uh, what I call, um, overview of the book of Galatians, we'll be ready to do just a very brief segue from chapter 3 into chapter 4, and we're going to look at this idea of how Paul is explaining to the Galatians that they don't need to do anything to get in. If they have faith in Messiah, they are already in. If we if we approach the book of Galatians with the with this idea that that I think uh, E. P. Sanders uh, presented, which is very very helpful, this idea of getting in and staying in from a Jewish cent first century world perspective worldview, 
uh, the idea of how does one get into the family of God, and then how does one stay in the family of God? How does one get into covenant membership, and then how does one stay in covenant membership? If we approach the book of Galatians with those two questions, uh, getting in and staying in, then we're going to find that from Paul's perspective, getting in is done by faith in Messiah, and staying in is done by faith in Messiah. Getting in is done by the power of the Spirit. Staying in is done by the power of the Spirit as well. Uh, contrast this with the Galatian uh, Gentiles, the Judaizers, the influencers, who were teaching that getting in was done by ethnicity and staying in was done by Torah observance. And so that's covenantal gnomism. So we're going to look at all this next week. But let's close for now. And uh, those of you who are with me in the live class, remember that we're going to stay and we can entertain some chat for about 15 minutes uh, talking about whatever you'd like to talk about. Okay, let's close in prayer. Abba, I bless your name, and I thank you for the opportunity to share, uh, to sit and share uh, my thoughts with the students. I pray that you'll continue to raise them up in Messiah and give them a, a unified voice. Uh, bring us together, Lord, even though we have our differences and disagreements over certain passages, even though we disagree on certain aspects of Torah observance, Lord, we can, in fact, rally around the banner of Messiah and agree that it is only by the finished work of Yeshua that we can be brought into the kingdom of God, that we can be brought into the family of Abraham, and that we can be counted as genuine heirs, Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah, one new man, like the book of Ephesians describes. We also know that later on in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, that Paul's going to admonish us to to uh, uh, be filled with the Spirit. not Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And Lord, this is our mandate. This is our command. Even as much as later on in chapter 6, he's going to admonish us to put on the whole armor of God so we can take a stand against the adversary. And Lord, so we know that being brought into the family of God is not something that we do under our own power. And, and remaining in the family of God is also something that we don't do under our own power. But it is as we surrender to the Spirit of God to the work of Messiah in our lives, that we are uh, maintained, that our position in Messiah is maintained, and that we will one day be glorified. So this this journey known as salvation with its kind of three stages, its, its, its initial um, justification, its middle step of sanctification, and its final step of glorification, all three of these uh, aspects of, of salvation, Lord, um, justification, sanctification, glorification. All of this is is important for us. And as we understand that from start to finish, uh, that Yeshua is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so we thank you, Lord, that you have given us these promises and that in Messiah they are secure and that we do not need to change our status from Gentile to Jew. We do not need to rely on the flesh. We do not need to to uh, create some sort of works righteousness, meritorious, merit theology, and all of that other nonsense. We know that only by the, the, the grace and power of Messiah that we uh, can be saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then glorified. So thank you, Lord, for choosing us, for indeed we would not have chosen you. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory. In Yeshua's name, amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. 
to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com.